Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word? Father God, you're really clear that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Yes, Lord. All they have passed away. Jesus is really clear that we have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, Christ will live within me. Thank you, Lord. In the life that I live now, I live with the power of the Holy Spirit for the one who loved me. For the one who died for me, for the one that paid the price, Father God. Mm. Lord, I pray, we pray this morning, Father God, as we come together to worship you, to honor you in the spirit and truth, Father God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that we will be humble as you are, Father. That we will deny ourselves, that we will pick up the cross and follow you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, that we will be the people, the chosen one.
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are God and God alone. Father, there's none like you. And we thank you, God, for yet for another opportunity to gather, to open up your word, Father, to hear from you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our teacher, our counselor, our guide. We thank you, Father, that you through Christ have reconciled us back to yourself, Lord. You have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. That we are the sheep of your of your pasture, Lord. We thank you that you are the great shepherd. Yes. We thank you, Father, that you are our provider, our comforter, our healer, the great physician. The banner that goes before us and that you are our rear guard. That you are the strong tower in which we can run into and be safe. We thank you that in Christ no weapon forged against us shall prosper. We thank you, Father, that you are upon your throne. Seated. That you are victorious. We thank you, Father. That in Christ and in Christ alone, we have life and life and abundance. So may we not grow weary. May we not, not lose hope. But may we continue to cling to Christ in this generation, Father. That we would advance your kingdom we would know our purpose and in whom we belong. And we serve you faithfully, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will harvest what you plant. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 where we're going to begin reading today. And as we think about our scripture from Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, the spiritual understanding, um, the spiritual principle, the kingdom principle, that what we harvest in our lives, we, what we plant in our lives, we will harvest. What we give ourselves to, what we put our hands towards, what we allow our eyes to gaze upon where we allow our feet to lead us when we give in to our desires rather they are righteous or unrighteous like what we give ourselves to what we plant we will harvest back upon ourselves so how are you living this is the question in which we are faced with each and every single single day throughout the day how are you living are you living as unto Christ? Or are you living as unto self? Are you led by the Holy Spirit? Or are you led by your desires that are from within? We know that the Bible says, where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. We understand too, that temptation is not sin. And that God makes a way out of every temptation. You choose. This day whom you will serve and throughout the day. To give over 
to those desires or to allow yourself to give right, rightful ownership to your life to the control of the Holy Spirit if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You've received Him. The moment that you called upon Jesus and were saved, you were born again, you've received the Holy Spirit. We are then to allow Him to complete the work in which He has begun in us. We now belong to Him. We have surrendered our life, our control. We have died to our old selves, died to those old desires. They shouldn't be leading us. They may try to awaken. They may try to lure us. But we are to stand firm, firmly rooted in Christ and the new creation in whom He has created us to be. The very creation in which He purposed before He placed us in our mother's womb. So I wrote this quote down last night that just came to my heart. To remember who you are, you must remember who you belong to. Our identity is constantly being bombarded in this world. We want to things and, and, and people and insecurities and anything else you could possibly think try to lure us to think that we are someone, something that we're not. When you're firmly rooted in Christ, you know whom you belong to and who you are now. You're not seeking after the temporalness of life. You're not seeking after the created to find worth, to find value, because your worth and your value is from the Creator. Like he's loved us from the beginning. From the beginning. God is love. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. And these scriptures through Ephesians that we're going to read through before we get into our walking through the Bible scriptures. My hope and my prayer is, is that through this week, we will go back through and meditate upon them. That we would really allow them to awaken truth within us that we would know our identity that is in Christ, but above all, that we would know our God. <laughs> Listen to the scripture as it's being read. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Look at this, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. Please, I pray that... that Seriously, that we will take time to really allow these scriptures to kind of just marinate within us, that we truly see uh, the awesomeness of what just the few verses that I just read speak to us. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. The hope, the security that we find, the reality of who truly God is, to truly see Him for who He is, how big He is, (laughs) how loving He is, and how He has planned this from the beginning. That we're not by accident. That we were thought of, we were purposed for Him. And He longs to bless us. Like He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided. Rob didn't decide. You didn't decide. But God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ. Not through religious works. Not through church attendance. Not through anything. But through Christ. This is, look at this. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out unto us who belong to His dear Son. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. These verses are not new verses to us. These verses, I'm sure we've walked through sometime this year or sometime last year. We've had them before as before, but are they really impacting our lives? Like, do you ever get up in the middle of the day and go through the day? Do you ever just think upon that the, this scripture where it says it was that it was he? This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Or do you just see your Christian life as a humdrum life, just trying to be good? <laughs> You see, we, this, this Christian life is to be experienced with the right heart and with the right mind. <laughs> and it's in Christ. We understand who we were before Christ. We were slaves to sin. <laughs> we were slaves to the created. Dragged about. <laughs> chained up by Satan. Bound to darkness. And to depravity. But God. But God. Before the world was even formed. Thought of you. Thought of you. Thought of me. Through Christ. He knew Christ was coming. The plan of, of the cross. The purpose of the cross. The plan of redemption. God's ultimate plan that he would have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. And so because of this understanding, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Grace, the power to transform. You should be living a transformed life. 
Verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and look at this, and forgave us our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. You see, I keep telling us and reminding us that there's no error found in God. The error is found in man. God is perfect. God is holy. God is just. Listen to what it says there. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Verse 9, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan that at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us... (laughs) in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Oh, the confidence that you can have today in in an ever-changing moment-by-moment world that we live in, that our confidence and our hope is not in the circumstances of this world, the circumstances of your life. (laughs) This world is going to be shaken. Your life is going to be shaken. Your identity is going to be challenged. (laughs) But when you know that you are firmly rooted in Christ, the hope that you can have is to know that you know, because he keeps telling us that he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Our confidence and our hope as Christians is only in Christ and in Christ alone. God is faithful to what He has purposed. And you have been purposed by God. Verse 12, so God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring peace and would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Listen to that. God's plan, God's purpose. He hasn't left anything out. It's finished. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. Now we wait until the day in which we stand before him. There's nothing else needed to be done except for him to return to Gather those up that belong to him. And until that day, we are to remain firm, firmly rooted in Christ. Looking up, but we know the day is drawing near. And then Paul leads into this next section, verse 15 through 23. 
this prayer that we've looked at before. It's a prayer for spiritual wisdom. And oh, how we, the church, need spiritual wisdom. He writes, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called, His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. And I love this visual. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called His holy people, who are His rich and glorious inheritance. Oh, how it pleases the Father to know that we are in Christ. He's created. Who has put everything else aside. Not worshiping anything else, but trusting solely in Him, loving Him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their body, with all of their strength, with their very being, loving God, trusting God. And oh, how our heart should be flooded with light. We're going to move on to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And the hope that we have that we are made alive with Christ. Listen to these scriptures. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Hear that again. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You see, that's how you used to live. He goes on, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Remember, we were all born into that nature. We were all hell-bound and hell-bent when we came out of the womb. Everything within us, everything that draws us, even the enemy had rights to us. We were subject to his authority, his rule, his reign. By our own very nature, we desired it. We desired the brokenness. We desired the insecurities. We desired the perversions. We desired the addictions. We desired to murmur and to complain and to fault find. We desired to be lazy. We desired to, to blame everyone else. We desired to abuse people. We desired this and we desired that. There was nothing good within us. 
everything about us was hell-bound and hell-bent but God. But God. Remember what we just read? He purposed us. He, he knew us even before the world was created. He purposed us. He planned for us. Our lives were not an accident. He knew the condition in which we would be born into. He knew that we would be, when we first came forth on this earth, in complete rebellion towards Him. And yet the Bible says that He loved us in that condition. And because of that great love towards us, He didn't allow us to remain in that condition, subject to His wrath. No, no. He sent Jesus to redeem us, to speak forth life, and to awaken the very creation that we were always meant to be, God's people. And it's in Christ that we have this freedom, no longer bound, no longer chained, no longer led by Satan, no longer giving in to those desires, no longer just running amok. No, we're learning to obey. We're, we're, we are now a weird, peculiar people in this world. The, the lost don't understand. We seem a bit too much, too radical for them. They like and they choose their bondage mm -hmm. instead of choosing freedom. Verse 4, But God is so rich in mercy, and, is loved, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He has raised us from the dead along with Christ and sealed us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Are you united with Christ Jesus? Are you bearing His image? Not just claiming his name, but are you bearing his image? We were dead, but now we have been made alive anew in Christ. It is because Christ went to the cross, shed his blood, buried in a tomb, three days later rose again, defeated sin and death. God purposed, God planned for Christ to come to redeem us. And oh, how we should live as verse 6 says, so He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us 
with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Oh, that we will know our God and know our identity. So when our identity is challenged to try to lure us back down to the, to the, to the filth of this world, why would we get up from our place, seated with Christ, and go back to our vomit? Why would we leave our place seated with Christ to go back to the filth of the pig pen? To get tainted yet again with the filth of this world, with the created stuff. Oh, we've got to understand who we belong to, who he is, and who we are in him. Our position is in Christ. We are victorious. Not because the world says we are. Not because of the worldly possessions we may have or the worldly relationships we we may have. No, because of Christ. And that's why we can serve Him, live for Him, honor Him, no matter what's going on in this world, because we know that this is not our home. (laughs) We're just passing through. But while we are here... We are to bear His image. Not just claim His name, show up for church when we want to show up, do Christian living the way we want to do it. No, no. We're to be Christians 24-7. It is who we are. It is who we are. It is Christ working in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit leading us. To bear His image in a broken and corrupt, darkened world. God saved us, verse 8, or God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. Go to chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14 through 21. Again, another prayer we've read before. We're going to read it again. It's Paul's prayer for spiritual growth. Listen to the last verse from chapter 2 that we read, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He, He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We were created. We are God's masterpiece. We are anew. We are born again. And oh, how we need to grow, to continue to mature. Paul says in verse 14, When I think of all of this, of chapter 3, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray from this glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. 
May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you see that? In verse 16, I pray that that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you what? Trust in him. Your roots will grow down, look at this, into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. The love of God. It's not like the love of the world. The love that we know in, in, our, in our ignorance, in our natural selves, what we create love to be. It's fleeting. It's here one day, gone tomorrow. It's all based on our feelings. No, God's love is secure. It's constant. He doesn't give it and He doesn't take it away. No, God's love is set. It is just who He is. God is love. That's why He loved us, yet though we are in complete rebellion towards Him. His love didn't change for us because we came to Christ. No, salvation came to us when we came to Christ. We're firmly secured in Christ. And it's because of God's love that He sent Christ. So when you really have a full understanding and you're firmly rooted in God's love, you're not going to waste your life on the temporalness of this world. Because again, why would you trade such great love, such great security and peace and wholeness for brokenness? For moments of pleasure that come and go. For insecurities, for, for this and for that, to grumble and complain and the fault find, to talk about people, to, to just rattle cages, just to act a, a fool, to lie, to steal, to kill. No, we are God's masterpiece. Created afresh and anew in Jesus Christ, all because of His love. There's nothing that can compare to God's love. And when you know that you are loved by the Almighty, you don't have to decide, oh, should I go to church today or should I not? This is appointment or this relationship or this or that is, is more important to me than God. No, no, no. When you love God, you can't help but desire to be in His presence Not in just with your own personal devotion, but with the body of Christ. You long to be in His presence throughout the day. You long for the fellowship of the saints. You can't get enough. You hunger and you thirst at a greater level more and more and more as you are maturing. And when you grasp the fullness of His love, nothing can compare. No one can compare. Listen to what Paul 
is praying there. Oh, how I pray too that we would know the depth of His love for us. Go to chapter 4, verse 17 through 32. Living as children of light. With the Lord's authority I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. They are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This is those, this is once who we were, and this is those who are still lost in the world. And we're being told, don't live like that any longer. Stop giving yourself over to the way they go. (laughs) So you got to be able to stand up for truth and live differently. You're not to be bowing down along with them. No, you're to be declaring truth. You're to be the light. Their minds are full of darkness. They wandered far from the life God gives because, circle that, underline that, they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They choose to say, He is not God. So what on God's earth are you doing yoked with Him? You better let that rattle you. What on God's earth are you yoking yourself with people who do not love God? It doesn't mean that you can't be friends. It doesn't mean that you're not to have, you know, friendship with people. But you're not to go along with them. Because how would you ever influence them if you pull yourself completely away from them? The point is, is that you should not be acting like them. They should see a difference in you. You don't yoke yourself with them. No. They have chosen. They have closed their hearts and have hardly closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. Go to Romans, and maybe not now, but just think of Romans 1. Romans 1 says, They know God, and yet they chose not to worship Him. They turned to the created. And so God turned them over to what they desired. He abandoned them. Come on, we got to wake up. We got to truly recognize this. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But I love how he goes on here. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Christ and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off, look at this, throw off your old sinful nature and your formal way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. You're to throw it off. You're not to be continually living in it. You're not to be corrupted by it any longer. Instead, so then how are we to be living? Verse 23, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes 
Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then generously to give to others. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not be, I'm sorry, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, all well, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You are to be different. We are to be different. We're not to continue to go and be and do and say as we were before Christ. I know we like to make excuses why we do it. But do you understand you're grieving the Holy Spirit and you are not? You are not to live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who has sealed you, who has guaranteed your inheritance. And now you're living a life grieving Him? You're living a life going your own way, doing what you want to do. That's not how a believer is supposed to live. Look at what it says. Throw off the old sinful nature. If this is how you live, now live this way. If you used to steal, stop stealing. See, we all have a past. And so now we're to live opposite of how our old nature lived. If you were a thief, quit stealing and now give generously. That goes against your old nature. If you were a liar, if you were a deceiver, stop saying lies and start speaking truth. Be gracious and be kind. Live different than how you used to live. That's the growth. That's the maturity of a believer. It's not making excuses why we stay enslaved to sin. Oh, do we not recognize how ignorant that is? If you are enslaved to sin, you need to get up. You need to mature. You need to grow. You need to allow your roots to grow down deep into His love because you cannot continue to live a life that's grieving the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not that you will not sin, but sin is not to rule and master over you. That's why 1 John, I don't know how many times we've read it together, it says, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if you do, remember... You get up, you repent, you turn from it. And it's a godly repentance. We don't, we, we don't mourn and, and, and have a worldly sorrow, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, we genuinely see how disgusting it is. And so we turn from it. And we seek God to grow us and to mature us in the, into the way in which we ought to be living. See, there is hope, there is freedom that is in Christ. There's a new life for us. And we are to pursue Him. We are to know Him. And we are to honor Him. Look at chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. It's going to be our last portion in Ephesians. 
living in the light and living by the Spirit's power. So imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled, look at this, with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual morality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. So don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in these things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Underline that. Circle that. The light that is within you only produces what is good, right, and true. It doesn't keep you bound to your sin. It doesn't allow you to identify with all your desires that are ungodly. No, it produces something in your life. And look at what it's saying here. That we are not to have these as characteristics and and fruit in our lives. We shouldn't be harvesting this stuff in our lives. If we're harvesting it, that means we're planting it. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't overtake you. No, you have planted something, just, and then it is going to come forth. You're going to harvest it. You're going to harvest the bad attitude. You're going to harvest the perversion. You're going to harvest this. You're going to harvest that. So what are you planting? You should be planting seeds of righteousness. You should be seeking to grow. Not bound. And he tells the church, he's writing to the church, don't be deceived. If this is your life, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. And you're not in Christ. If you're not transformed, it doesn't matter how well you pray, it doesn't matter what prophetic insights and thoughts and writings or anything else, It doesn't matter how many times you show up for church. It doesn't matter what you give. It doesn't matter. If you're not in Christ, you've only fooled yourself. You may think you're fooling others, but God knows your heart. And so Paul is telling them, "If if this is what your life is marked by, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he exposes it. And then he says, and don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. They have an excuse for why they stay out of fellowship. They have an excuse of why they keep giving in to perversion. They have an excuse for why they can't stop lying. They have an excuse for their anger. They have an excuse for their harsh words. They have an excuse for this. They have an excuse for that. And what sins, what's coming for them is the wrath of God. The anger of God. Because they have chosen to deny Him. They have chosen to harden their hearts against Him. 
They have chosen to take on a form of religion and deny his power to transform their lives. Do you understand? Like we are to bear witness to his resurrection. That is what your life is to be in Christ. Not to bear witness that he was nailed to a cross, left there to die. No. Not to witness that he's still laying in the tomb. No. It's that he was resurrected. Your life is to bear witness of his resurrection. People should see a difference in you. Not just pat you on the back and send you along to your church and then then take you out to the club the next day. What kind of craziness is this that we're living? What kind of craziness? Have your church, have your Jesus, and I'll see you at the club at 6. Or I'll hang out with you and we'll talk trash or we'll just give in to the worldly things of life. Come on. You're making a mockery of Christ. You're making a mockery of His blood. No, again, our lives are to bear witness of His resurrection. So he goes on here. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that ruins your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we are to live, you all. This is how that you can remain upright in a crooked and perverse generation. It's first to know your God and then know who you are in Him. We're not to act thoughtlessly, but we're to understand what the Lord wants us to do. We're not to get drunk because that will ruin our lives. But instead we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit singing and giving thanks and praising our God. This is how we're to be living. We're to be making the most of every opportunity because we know that the days are evil. And we know that the days are only going to get darker. And as we understand this, then we are to only get brighter. We are to draw closer to God. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness, even more so. We never think that we arrived at a level like, oh, we've got it together. No, no, no. We understand that we are behind enemy lines and we need to be and to remain in Christ. And oh, how we should give Him thanks for giving us the right to call Him Abba, to call Him Daddy, to be known by Him, and then to make Him known to others. Go to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to read chapter 3 
in chapter 4 today. They, the Israelites, the leading of Joshua, as God is leading them, they are about to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. Remember last week, they received a report back from the two spies that the people of Canaan were in fear. They received this understanding that, the, that they potentially could conquer the land just from the report of the people being fearful of them. But their confidence was not in that report and that report alone. Their confidence was in God. The one who called them out, the one who has been with them, and the one who is leading them. They had to trust not only in that report, but they firmly and they firmly had to trust in God. And they were up against their own fear. They could have responded like their, the generation before them responded. If we remember, the generation before them, they responded in fear. They cowered back. They were afraid to enter in. And so they didn't. They died in the wilderness. But this generation is coming up unto the Jordan River. It's at flood levels. They had to get through the water to get to the city to take and seize it. Everything and the visual, as you visualize it, as they looked upon it, looked against them. But yet they knew their God. And like the generation before them, they trusted in their God. And oh, this is a lesson as we're reading chapter 3 and 4 that we can learn. Not just to look at their lives, but to allow the truth to be applied to our lives today. Because it doesn't matter what you're facing today. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is before you. We're always going to have opportunities in our life to look at what's ahead of us or what's before us and feel defeated. But let that not be our response. Let our response be, God is for us. He's not against us. And God's plan and purpose for our lives will come to pass. And that we would hope in our God and know that He is faithful to what He has called us to. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left our Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. <coughs> Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. 
Make sure you don't come any closer. The Ark of the Covenant. You've never seen it. Never have a visual of it. That's what it looked like. And the priests were to carry it. And as soon as the people saw it go before them, they were to follow. God's presence is with them between these two cherubims. God with them. God leading them. God has the priests going forth before the people carrying His presence ahead of them. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will, will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God, look at this, is among you. He will surely drive out all these ites, all these different groups of people ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priest will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who who, who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water... At the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at the town called Adam, which is near Zarephim. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. These people that were crossing, they weren't around when the Red Sea split. But God, yet again, did this miraculous event before their very eyes. The river was overflowing, but as soon as the priest's feet went in, the water drew back and emptied out, and now they're crossing over on dry land, looking ahead of them at this fortified city, the land in which the God of the earth was about to give them. God is moving among his people. And so meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation... Remember, this just wasn't just a few people. This was thousands and thousands upon thousands of people had crossed the Jordan 
on dry ground. When all the people, chapter 4, had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder, twelve stones in all. One for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed, and when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the Ark of the Lord as the people walked. Watched. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan, just as Moses had described. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle. But the Lord, look at this, was with them. was with them as they crossed over to the plains of Jericho. That day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The Lord had said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgad, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgad that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until we all cross, until we were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Listen, this is an incredible testimony. Again, These stories aren't just good little stories, bedtime stories. No, these are actual events that took place. 
captured for us in the living word of God to inspire us to live for God, to trust in God, to love our God. You see, God is love, and, and as we led, led, read earlier, his desire is that we would turn to him, that we wouldn't choose to harden our hearts towards him, that we wouldn't choose the creative things of this world to define us or to try to find our security in it. No, our security and our hope should be in God and God alone. And it's because of his great love towards us that he has sent Jesus to redeem us. Remember, as we read earlier, before the earth was formed, before the world was even created, God thought of you. God purposed you. And even though you were born into this world, enslaved to Satan, bound by a sinful nature, nothing good within you, God still loves you. And God says, because of my love for you, because I have purposed you, your life has meaning. I've come to rescue you. And because now you've accepted me through Christ Jesus, you're born again afresh of anew. And that purpose that I purposed you for will come forth from this old shell of a person. You will live and not die. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will live among the nations that have hardened themselves against me. And you will live for me and you will be the light. And you will go forth and you will bear my image. And your life will testify of my resurrection. Because I have transformed you. Because you're not living like the rest of them. You're different. And just as it is as it is today with us, so it was with them back there. Remember, God set aside Israel's, the, the Jews, the Israelites, to be his people. So that he would be made known to the nations. And yet we have this new generation of Israelites who are following Joshua who is obeying the orders of the Lord and they're finding victory, not because of themselves, but because of God. And yet God still cares for the next generation that's coming up. So that's why he tells them, build this memorial because your children are going to ask. And when they ask, tell them, tell them all about me. Let them know how good I am. Let them know how great I am. Let them know how love, how much I love them and I care for them. If they would just turn to me, if they would just look upon me. And it's so important to have memorials in your life. No, we're not out building, you know, rock stones and, you know, whatever. No, but in within our hearts and within our minds, we should be able to tell our children and our children's children of who God is and what God has done in our lives. They should see a difference in us. They should, they should hear you speak of your testimony. They should see, why, why are you so different? See, we don't force our relationship with God upon them and demand that they conform to it. No, they have to come to a place in their own life that they too will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That they will come to a place where they will bow their knee and accept Jesus. 
Like, Mom, Dad, I believe not because you believe, because you, you know you took me to church and you forced me to go to church. No, I believe because God is pleased to reveal Himself to me through His Son, Jesus. And I want to follow Jesus all the days of my life. I want to be baptized. I want to grow. I want to be discipled. I have a hunger to know truth and, and to be close to God because I know that He loves me. And I know that this world is not my home. I don't want to be lost in this world. I don't want to harden my heart towards Him. No, I want to be in relationship with my Creator. And oh, what a joy that is. But we should be able to tell. We should be able to testify of who He is. Because if all we're doing is holding a form of religion and yet still living like the world around us, it confuses the next generation. What kind of God is He? Who needs Him anyways? I can live however I want. You live however you want. And before you know it, we have a generations upon generations upon generations that's just believing a lie about God. They don't know Him. Because we, the generation before them, did not testify of Him. God told these Israelites, listen, mark this event. Remember it. Talk about it. Share it with the next generation. And look how he ended it. He did, he did this, verse 24, so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. That's what we tell them. That's what we remind ourselves. That God did this in our lives. Not because I'm special or anything about me. <laughs> no, it's all about Him. Like He wants to reveal His glory. He wants to reveal His love to all creation. He wants to reveal His power and His majesty, His goodness. This is our God, you all. He is the living God. He is the God in whom I pray that we will put our hope in and our trust in and that we would serve him and that our lives would testify of his resurrection and it's because he was resurrected that sin and death is defeated we don't have to remain a slave to sin any longer no we can live upright and trust in God and know our God go to Luke chapter 14 Luke 14, verse 7 through 35. Listen, it's great news. And two different set of people. Again, the people who Moses was following Moses, they arrived at the same place. But when they heard the report, they turned back. They didn't trust in God. They believed the lies that were coming from those eight other spies. And so they had to die off in the wilderness. But now you have a new generation that's hoping and believing in God. They're following the orders that God has given them. They're following the men of God carrying the presence of God. They're obeying. And as they're obeying and as they're living and as they're testifying of God, God is moving on their behalf. 
They are practicing and putting into practice the truth that they know of God and God is drawing them even deeper into a relationship with him. Just as he does with us. Verse 7 of chapter 14. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Now I want you to picture this if you can. So Jesus is um, it's at this dinner. These religious people are there. And now they're trying to take these seats to be noticed. <laughs> he says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in, in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in the front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a very important lesson. It's not about you. <laughs> you got to be very careful that you don't puff yourself up because remember, these religious men of the day there, they were teaching the people about God, but they didn't know God. They made it all about them. It was all about a show. They had all this knowledge of God, yet God himself was before them, and they didn't even know who he was. They hated him. He's ruining our position of authority. People are looking at him for authority. And so Jesus is calling them out. Jesus is, is, is stripping them bare and everyone is beginning to see who they are. And so he's telling them, no, no, no. Don't make it about you. It's not about you. Don't be so full of pride because it'll come back at you. Humble yourself and remain humble. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. You see, their religious system, it was all, again, about them. It was about the proud. It was about the wealthy. It was about status. And if you didn't have any of that, you were looked down upon. You were shunned. You were discarded. You were of no worth, and you were of no, no value. This was the condition of the church in that age, and it's really not a difference than the church in this age, and I'm sure the age to come, because we make church about us. We make church about performance. We make church about position. We make church about power. And we make church about influence. And the common folk just sit in hopes that they can be as godly one day as the leader or the people with influence, the people with money, the people with power. And they're ignorant. And they remain ignorant. 
And so they keep others ignorant of truly who Christ is. And so Jesus is calling out these religious men. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet is the king, in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied this way, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, Ah, I have a, I have just brought, bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There's still more room. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. This is important. Listen to Jesus' words. He's laying out a, a, a... a truth that the church then and the church now should hear. He says to the religious, Come, come, join me, join me, sit with me, dine with me. And the religious, I don't have time. I've got better things to do. I got other appointments to get to. I got other relationships to attend. No, 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 Jesus says, no, but I'm here. Come, come, come be in my presence. Come be among me. Come learn of me. No, no, it's okay. I'll post about you later. I'll make a little quote later. I'll say Jesus. I'll say your name. I'll click my heels. I'm okay. I don't need to do all that. I don't need church. I don't need to be discipled. It's okay. You still love me. I'll just live however I want. And Jesus goes, you don't know me. And so then he he looks out and he sees that the proud, the the ignorant, the the, the haughty, the people who think they got it all together, they don't need him. Ah! He turns them over. Live however you want then. But there are those who need me. There are those who desire to be known. You see, ultimately that's within every single man, woman, boy, and girl. is a desire to be loved and to be known. And all of a sudden, the servants of God go out into the streets. They begin to declare the gospel. Listen, there was one who came to set you free from sin. There was one who came sent by God because of God's love to redeem you. And all of a sudden, the broken, the lost, the drug addicted, the, the, the chaotic mind, everything about this person, these people, all of a sudden awaken and say, what, I'm invited? Where, where is this? How can I get there? All of a sudden, there's an awakening 
You see this man before you? I was so darkened. I hated Jesus. I didn't want anything to do with church. I was told the half of my life God hated me. By people who were in church and out of church. God hates you. You're going to hell. That's all I heard all my life. How much God hated me. And so I began to hate him. I hated him with everything that was within me. I hated him. I hated the name of Jesus. But Jesus stepped in to my life. When I was about to take my life. And I heard the invitation. Come. Come to my banquet. Come and live. What? And as he does with all of us. Because before Christ, rather you'll say it like I did with your lips or not, you hate him. No, I don't hate God. No, 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 no. If you're not in Christ, you hate God. That's what the Bible says. Apart from Christ, you hate God. You love yourself more. You love your possession. You love the created things more. I find worth in this. I find worth in these people. I, I'll find worth and love and value in all this stuff that I one day could go away. And so then we're seeking for more. Then we're trying to find more. And all along, God is going, would you just come to my banquet? Will you just come to me? Because I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. There's no other way. And so the broken, the lost, the weary, they hear the good news and they respond. And they can't help but respond. Because not once have they ever felt valued. And like I read earlier in Ephesians, once you know God's love and how much he loves you, you will not settle for this. For this world. Like when I recognize how much the Father loves me, like I wouldn't trade that for anything. Like I am loved by God. Like, when you're able to say that and know it, and with everything within your very existence, like nothing changes you. When you know that you have a place at the banquet, like, you're like, I don't need all this. Look what I've got because of Christ, because of Jesus. And Jesus was making it very clear to them. Oh, you all think you're in? No, 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 no. You keep being busy about yourselves. <laughs> you keep going your way. It's all right. I know there are those that when I speak, they will hear. When my servants go and they tell them, because they're going to the darkest places of the city. They're going to the places that most people would never go to. People are awakening to truth. You hear testimonies after testimonies after testimonies of people in such chaotic places, such chaotic mindsets. Awakening to truth. Because they're having visions of Jesus. Or because someone told them lives are being changed. This is the good news of the gospel. That's why when you read about the end times and how crazy things are, 
And but yet they say, even though all this is taking place on the earth, the gospel will still be preached. And there will be a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of souls, of people that turn to Christ and say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. (laughs) That I will love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my body, with all of my strength. I will not love this world more than you. I belong to you. And he sets us free. And we're able to proclaim the good news, you all. It goes on here. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Don't, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king will go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear shall listen and understand. Jesus' words. Because people are getting excited about this man before them. He speaks with such authority. They're drawn to him. He's doing miracles. They see his compassion. They, They sense his love. His zeal for God. So now they're following. Yes, we're on board. We're on board. We're on board. But he turns to them and says, but understand. Like if you're coming after me, if you're going to say you're going to follow me, then consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. Like, you can't put any other relationship before me. You can't put any other earthly possession or earthly relationship or your own very life before me. If you do, you cannot be my disciple. Not because he's saying no, because you're saying no. Remember, there's there's no error found in God. (laughs) God doesn't stiff arm you. No, God's arms are wide open to receive you. But he understands the condition of man's heart. If you're putting anything above him, you don't love him. So don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, I'm a Christian just because I say I am. No. Jesus lays it out very clearly. 
This is what a Christian looks like. Do you, do you understand that God knows that there are men and women and children on this earth that will reject him? He knows that. And he'll allow them to experience life. They can, they can, they can succeed in life. They can live a happy life. They can have whatever in this life that they want. They can even have religion. But ultimately, in the end, they don't have God. And God knows their heart. No, no, no. That's why when the people, when we, when all of us have to give an account at the end of our lives, like when we take that last breath, when judgment day comes and we have to stand before God, you either accepted Christ or you didn't. Jesus does not mince words. He's very clear. Live your life if you want to live your life however you want to live it. It's all you. Go, 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 do it. But if you're going to follow me, then understand you're not going to fit into this world because this world is not my home. And this world will not be your home. They hated me, they're going to hate you. You see, you have to have a different perspective. When you're born again, you don't have a temporal mindset any longer. You have an eternal vision. That for forever, for eternity, I'm going to be in the land in which I was created for. Eternity in God's kingdom. But if I choose to love everything else ahead of him, to say, no, this relationship is more important. So God, I don't have time for you. No, this desire is more important. That I obtain this, that I obtain that. See, you can come to Christ and obtain wealth in this world. You can come to Christ and you can have earthly possessions and good relationships and a healthy marriage and a, and a, and a fantastic family. But they're not before God. Like you understand, no, wait a minute, God's first. So it's not that you can't have the things, it's just that the things can't have you. And you use the things which God has given you to, to, to honor God. You honor your family. You honor your possessions. You're a good steward of what he's entrusted you with. But Jesus knows. So that's why he doesn't paint a picture that this we're all going to float around like angels singing a hallelujah chorus and there's never going to be any problems on this earth. Your life is just going to be peachy and fun and giddy and happy and all this crazy stuff that we tried to make it out to be. He says, no. In fact, carry your cross. The cross in that day was a form of execution. These people saw people nailed to crosses. They know how horrible of a death it was. What, what did you just say, Jesus? Like, I've got to carry a cross? Like, um... I don't know about that. And he wants you to give thought to that. He doesn't want you just to make a flippant decision. Oh yeah, I'll follow you. No, no, no. He wants you to give thought because it's going to cost you everything. And if you're not willing to let everything go for him, then don't follow him. Don't follow him. Live your life. Do whatever you want. But in the end, that's it. For eternity, you will spend a place of darkness, of gnashing of teeth, of utter torment. 
Because of your choice. Not because of God's. Because of your choice. That's why we have to share the gospel. That's why we're passionate when we come to Christ. Our eyes have been open. Our ears are open to hear. And now we want to share it with people. We want to give everyone the opportunity to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus. This is great news. Jesus knows what's awaiting for him. His kingdom. He knows what's waiting for them. His kingdom. But he's not making it easy for them because he knows what he's leaving them in he knows the world in which we are still in how awesome would it be that when we if we when we bow our knee and we say yes lord i believe that you are the son of god and that you're risen from the dead and at that moment we're transitioned into heaven how great would that be but that's not his plan oh you love me rob you've counted the cost then go bear my image so that others can come to know me. Uh, Do you understand that's your purpose now as a Christian? Rob, they're going to hate you because they hated me. You're in a world that's going to constantly bombard you with thoughts and ideals and, and, and and stroke those old desires to see if you would give in. But remain in me. Remain firm. Bear my image because I'm coming again. And when I'm coming, it's all done. It's all done. See, that's the Christian life. And Jesus is making it known. Like he's not, he, 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 he's not just pleading and begging with them. Oh, would you just please follow me? Will you just please come and bow your knee and accept me? Will you just please, you know, let me be Lord of your life? No, he's not weak. He's telling us, as he's told them and as people will continue to be told. Count the cost. Consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And there's no if and buts about it. No matter what church tries to make it, God has set it forth. Consider the cost. Go to Psalm 80. Psalm 80. And again, as I encourage us in the book of Psalms, that these psalmists, these these writers penned these songs to the Lord. They were sung. They were exalted. They, They lifted up these truths. So many times, like I've shared with you, they're so transparent in, in what they're going through. Things weren't going right in their lives. Life was hard. And yet they reminded themselves and those who would read and sing these songs to look up. Remember God. God is for us. He's not against us. He's a good God. He's a God of justice. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He spoke and the earth was formed. He created all of this. And even creation is longing to be restored back to its purpose. That's what the Bible says. If we don't praise Him, the rocks will. See, creation is longing. It's groaning. I know everyone wants to talk about earth warming and the global issues and everything. Listen. 
Listen, yes, we should do what we can to keep the earth healthy. <laughs> but the earth is dying. <laughs> the earth will continue to die. It will continue to wreak havoc because it is under the condition that we as sinful men and women have brought it into. Like all of this is going away. But even the creation knows there's a day in which we will be restored to our, to our purpose. Like we will praise the creator. Oh, we better give thought, you all. Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, who, you who led Joseph's descendants like a flock. O God, enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show your mighty power. Come to rescue us. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, how long will you be angry with our prayers? You have fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Turn us again to yourself, O God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us and we took root and filled the land. Our shade covered the mountains. Our branches covered the mighty cedars. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea and our shoots spread east to the Euphrates River. But now, why have you broken down our walls so that our past, so all that past may, may steal our fruit? The wild boar from the forest devours it and the wild animals feed on it. Come back! We beg you, O God of heaven's armies, look down from heaven and see our plight. Take care of this grapevine that you yourself have planted. This son you have raised for yourself, for we are chopped up and burned by our enemies. May they perish at the sight of your frown. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. It was in this period of time that the Israelites, they lost everything that God gave them. Not because God took it away. No, because they chose to worship other gods of the nations. They chose to abandon God. They chose to look at what other people were doing and say, oh, that looks a little bit more fun. Oh, look how they're prospering. And they worship these gods of the trees, of the moon, of the stars. Oh, they worship the things that they created. Why can't we do that? Look, they're having sex and they're having orgies. They're drinking, they're drugging, they're acting a mess. What's wrong with that? Look, they're enjoying life. We want to enjoy it too. 
And so they went about and did everything that they were told not to do. No, no, no. Remember, remember Israel. Remember Christians. You are to be God's people on this earth. You're not to look like your old self. No, you're to be his image bearers. And so God said, if that's what you want, if that's how you want to live, I'll turn you over to it. If you really think your sin, your desires, that filth, that lack, that idol worship of false gods is better than me, oh, then here, let them take care of you. And in an instant, they were destroyed. In an instant. See, sin, you don't see the, 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 what's behind sin. At first it looks enticing. Well, what's really wrong with it? It tasted good. It looked good. It felt good. So what's really wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. I'm going to go a little further. It tastes good. It feels good. I enjoy it. Well, what's really wrong with it? Nothing's wrong with it. Oh, who's made all this stuff up? Why have people been keeping me from this? I'm going to do what I want to do. And you just go further and further into it. But you don't see all along that Satan, (laughs) the forces of evil that we can't see that the Bible tells us. Do you know that we are, yes, we're in the month of October. And do you know for 31 days what witches do? You say witches? Oh, yes. I used to belong to a coven. I used to worship dark magic. Do you understand that for 31 days, their beliefs... And what they believe in, the earth, the the nature, and all this other stuff, they give themselves to for 31 days of fasting, of seeking to gain even more power. And do you know what their ultimate intent is? Is to see the church destroyed. Do you know they used to target local churches and buried their relics on, in their sand of their property. They go into the congregations and meditate and chant while worship and preaching is going on to dumb the people down. You see, it's funny that the, those who are lost and have awakened to the spiritual insight around them, that they understand darkness. But the crazy thing is, is that they think darkness can extinguish the light. See, the lie in which I believed, in which they believed, in which they believe, is that they can extinguish the light. But you can't. No matter how hard they want to try, no matter how hard they want to give, they can't overthrow God. But yet, these people are passionate to their beliefs, and you can get barely people to show up for church. Or they come to church, they're all over the place. They're not thinking. They're not giving thought to God, to the one in whom they say they love, to the one whom they say is resurrected and is seated on high in the place of victory. Well, I gotta go to church. I don't want to go to church. Oh, church again? I don't want to read the word. It's boring. I'm bored. Listen, when you know the living God, you're not bored. (laughs) When you know the living God and the power in which you have to walk in his authority and confidence, oh, you will go forth. And you will fast. You will pray. 
You will declare the good news. You will understand your purpose and your meaning of your life. You're not just going to give yourself over to things. Israel at the time of this psalm was written, they've given them over to themselves to everything and anything, and God turned them over. That's what you want? They're habit. And now they recognize. Well, at least this one psalmist did. God, we need you. God, we left you. We abandoned you. But God, I know your character. God, I know if you would just turn to us, if you would just call us out. God, I know of your great love for us. And he's crying out and he's pleading for God. Strengthen the man you love. The son of your choice. Remember what we read back in Ephesians at the beginning? Remember, God chose us. So he's crying from the depths of of truth, of understanding. Then we will never abandon you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God of heaven's armies. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Only then. Nothing else is going to save us. Nothing else. But we better understand that at what's the end of behind door one, two, and three, when sin draws us to itself, when the enemy comes in and snares us and drags us, Oh, but it feels so good. It feels so good. You better understand behind one, two, and three, it's death. It's destruction. Oh, but it looks good, but wait till the end. Wait till the end. There's nothing good. There's nothing good. And so if you don't think, like Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 6, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's not man doing anything to us. No, there is a realm of darkness, of demons, Satan, principalities, rulers in the air of darkness who is set out to destroy us. And if we're not in Christ, they have full access. But the good news of a believer is that we don't have to be afraid of them. Because once we give our lives to Christ, Their hold over us is broken. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of demons. Because they've already been disarmed because of Christ. They've been disarmed. I'm not lured. I'm not enticed. I used to go in before Christ into places and I was centering on the source of energy and darkness and I would want it to come in even deeper in me. I wanted more control and influence. And that coming to Christ as I was being formed and new in Christ, the torment of the mind I had to endure before I was finally free. The first few months and year of my life in Christ, I laid in a corner, curled up like a baby, rocking. The only thing I could see is Jesus. Jesus, because of the images, the demons that I saw, the things that were wreaking havoc on my body and in my mind. And I praise God for his power to deliver me out of it. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible said, is within us as believers. See, we don't have to be afraid. We get up every day we dress for battle. We know we're behind enemy lines. We know our kingdom is coming because our king is coming. We have the good news. We can look up. I have joy. I have hope. I have an expectant that at any moment I will stand before my king and my God. I say, yes, Lord. And I can have the certainty, and you can have the certainty that you will hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. See, that's the hope of a believer. It's the hope of a believer, you all. And oh, how I pray you have that hope. Go to Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12, verse 27 and 28. Two nuggets of wisdom. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch. But the diligent make use of everything they find. The way of the godly leads to life. The path does not lead to death. So lazy people, they let things rot. Just don't, they don't do anything. And if the little they do, they won't finish it. They won't complete it. But the diligent make use of everything they find. The diligent, those with wisdom, those with insight and understanding, they know what hard work is and they work. And they accomplish. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. So the godly those who are in Christ understand Jesus' words when he says it's the thief that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come, Jesus says, that you may have life and life in abundance. Oh, you really want to live life to the full? You really want to experience the fullness of all that you were created for? Come to Christ. Because it's only in Him the Creator can then bring forth what He purposed your life to be. Or you can keep listening to the lies of the enemy. You can keep being deceived by the dark realm. And you can continue to be led by your desires that are in rebellion towards God. That's your choice. But in the end, that's it. It's all you got. But those who are in Christ, oh, they know. There's a sense of peace. There's a sense of hope. No matter what the circumstances are going on in the world, that you can have the assurance that God is good and God is great. I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Yeah.
few, and we will be those who will stand up for truth and righteousness.